Good morning, New Life Church. Glad you're here this morning. Good to see so many here on a May-long weekend. You are smart people. You're not like those fools who go camping on May-long, right? Because everybody knows you don't camp on May-long. It's cold. It snows. Um, So just turn to your neighbor and say, you're smart. And then say, you're not a fool. And then say, like those people who go camping on May-long weekend, you're not playing along. (laughs) Anyway, for those of you who are joining us online from your campsite, uh, our online service, I I do offer my apologies, but we're we're thankful that you've joined us in in that way. So I I remember vividly this um, time I was at A&W in Medicine Hat, Alberta, right along the Trans-Canada Highway, I think it was 1998, having breakfast there, as I recall, a bacon and egg, uh, apple juice, didn't drink coffee yet at that point. I was a teenager. I was there with some of my family. I remember my grandma being there, and we were just having a vigorous conversation about when the end would come, you know, like the end of time. And uh, we all had different opinions. I don't know what was going on in the world that might have made us think that this was imminent. We all thought it was pretty close, and we're all giving our best guesses, Right? Prognostications? I recall one person saying they were pretty sure it'd be 2,000. That's in the end. You know, Y2K? Remember that? The world was going to come to an end? Kind of disappointing, right? 1999 is a countdown the seconds and then nothing happened? Someone else thought, no, it wouldn't be that quick. Probably 2002 was their best guess. I hedged my bets a little bit more, a little more prudent. My my best guess was 2007. That's when Jesus was going to come back. So it didn't age very well. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had those sort of conversations. I remember as a boy, like, it seemed to be this was talked about a lot. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor and... Heard a lot about, uh, you know, the, the prophecies and how things, you know, the events in the world are maybe fulfilling prophecies and kind of bringing about any at any moment to the, the, the end. And I just remember as, as a young boy, I wanted to be faithful God, praying, Lord, come soon, but just let me get married and have my honeymoon first, please. And uh, I think that was a common prayer amongst, uh, you know, young Christian men and women. Lord, come soon, but let me live a little bit first. And so when I was a kid, that was when the Left Behind series came out. There's just a lot of talk about the end times. I remember a TV show called Jack Van Impey. You might remember it. Every week, it was on TV often. I I would remember it. Jack, you know, talking about the current events happening in the world and how that was a fulfillment of this and what that meant for what was coming next. And he kind of had a nice timeline there. And he had his wife, Rexella, who single-handedly was keeping the cosmetic industry going. You know, you might remember that. I'm not sure if they're still on the air. I remember in my dad's office, there was a book there. I can still see the spine of, the, of, of that book there. Uh, the title was something like, Why Gorbachev is the Antichrist. And so it was, it was a book making the case that Mikhail Gorbachev, who at the time was the leader of the USSR, Soviet Union, why he was in fact the fulfillment of the Antichrist in the end was imminent. Maybe every generation has kind of talked like that. I remember when uh, 
my first daughter was born, Annika. One of the very first things we did after she was born is we set her up with an RESP, one of those education saving plans. And um, it's, it's amazing how the more kids you have, the more slack you get, right? So with Annika, we started that like the first week. And then Britta came along, and I think we maybe got it started in the first year. And Pippa's 10. And we haven't saved anything for Pippa's education. All right? So we're just praying that she has no ambitions to get an education. <laughs> Lord. So she'll say, Daddy, I want to be a nurse. And I'm like, do you? Are you sure you don't want to pump gas? Anyway, but I remember this conversation when we were setting up the RESP with, uh, with the agent of this organization. He happened to be a Christian guy. He's a bit older, been doing it for decades. And somehow this came up. But he recounted about how years before, it was like 1970, there was a father, a Christian family. They had a, a little girl, and he, this father had set up one of these education savings plans. But not long after that, he called this agent to cancel the plan. And to have any of that money returned, and, and the guy asked why, and he said, well, he was convinced there was no way that her daughter was going to reach the college years before Jesus came back. What is the point of saving the money? And so, there's some 50-year-olds still paying off their student loans right now somewhere out in the world. So maybe every generation has wondered or maybe thought that they were kind of living at the end. And, and, and so if you had an upbringing like mine in the church, you probably heard about that. You probably had some of those conversations. And maybe some of you, you didn't grow up in the church, and that's foreign to you. And you think, what in the world are you talking about? But maybe you've seen those cartoons, you know, the caricatures of those people, right? Or maybe you've seen it in some sort of town square, the guy with the sandwich board of the sign that declares, the end is near, repent, the end is near. And you've kind of wondered, what does that mean? Is the end near? Some people um, have thought that uh, they could be so certain that the end was near that they could nail it down in studying the Bible to the exact day that the end would come. I remember a few years ago, you might remember it, a guy by the name of Harold Camping, a fairly high-profile Christian leader in the United States, I guess through the study of God's Word, had become convinced that May 21st, 2011 was the day of the end. That was going to be the final day. And so he had promoted that, and he had followers, and they sold all their possessions, and they waited on the hill until the clock turned to May 22nd. And he recalculated, and he went back and he found some of his errors, and actually it was going to be October 21st, 2011. That has come and gone. Today, I think maybe, you know, some of the things that we have gone through and are going through have caused some of us to wonder, like, are we in the last days? The end times? You know, covid we don't know how it's going to transform the world, but we know it is. We don't know what this is all going to mean, but we have the sense that we're living in transformative, tumultuous times. We get the sense that kind of democracy is fraying. Everything seems to be getting worse. The economy is terrible. Supply chains, Russia, Ukraine, China, an endless list of problems in the world. Could we be living at the end? I think it's a natural question and maybe a question that you've thought about, you've You've talked about with others. And it's a question we're going to look at today because we're continuing in a sermon series through the months of, of May and June where we're inviting you to submit whatever question you have about the Bible, God, the Christian faith. And we're going to take some of those questions and try to find some good biblical answers here on Sunday mornings. And so someone had submitted a question. I'm not sure who. 
simply, um, are we living in the last days, is the question. And then the second part of the question was, and how do I respond to those people who say that we are? Like, how should I think about that? Are we living in the last days? And and that's an interesting question. Some questions are interesting, some questions are important, and I think this is an interesting question that has an important answer, so I think it's worthy of exploring it together. And as I was thinking about it, I think there's really three related questions that that we need to look at this morning. Um, The first question is, is there an end? Like, are there last days? And the second question is, can we know when the end will be? And the third question is, well, what difference does the answer to those questions actually make in how I live my life? So, so we're going to kind of take those in turn. And there's actually a few scriptures that, that address all three of them together because they kind of come bundled. And uh, one of those scriptures was the one Ross read from Luke 12. Another actually is these verses in Acts chapter 1. Now, this is the final encounter of Jesus with His disciples before He ascends to heaven. These are His final words to His first followers. And so they're probably going to be important, right? Because if these are Jesus' final words of instruction, you, you know, like, these are important words. So let me read them for you. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. It says, After Jesus' suffering, He presented Himself to them, to His disciples, and He gave them many convincing proofs that He was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around Jesus, and his disciples asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're asking that question, Lord, is this the end? Are these the last days? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, so we're just going to kind of circle back and go through that bit by bit to answer these first questions. And that first question is, is there even an end? But uh, actually, let, let me keep going. I, I stopped too soon to answer that first question. Okay. So Jesus says, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A- after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking uh, looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, so these are angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you uh, have seen him go into heaven. He will come back in the same way. So there, there you have it. Jesus according to that scripture, will return. He's going to come back. He's going to come back the same way in which he went up. He's not going to come like the way he came the first time, right? The first time Jesus came as baby Jesus, as an embryo in Mary's womb, right? He came uh, quietly. He came kind of inconspicuously, right? Just a normal, seemingly a normal little baby in a normal little family in a normal little town living a normal little life. 
Nothing to see here. That was the way he came at the beginning, right? But when he comes again, he's going to come a different way, the same way in which he went up. And so this is how the author of Hebrews puts it. In Hebrews 9.28, it says that Jesus will appear a second time, this time not to bear sin, because the first time Jesus came, of course, he came the way he did because his mission was to go and to die on the cross for our sin, for your sin, for the sin of the world, to make a way for us to be reconciled to God through his sacrifice. The first time he came, he came to, he, he, to bear sin. But the second time, he will come to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In other words, he's going to come to fully and finally rescue his people, to finish what he started when he came the first time. And so he's going to come next time like he went up. He's going to come with power and authority to fully and finally establish God's righteous rule in all of the world to vanquish once and for all sin and death and to reconcile all of creation to God. (laughs) Is he laughing or crying? Is she laughing or crying? I can't quite tell. Fake crying, okay. (laughs) Oh, great. This is is what... uh, Paul says in Acts chapter 17. Let me get there. Acts 17, verses uh, 31. Paul says, For he, that is God, has set a day, he has fixed a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. Now that man is Jesus, okay? God has fixed a day. So there's a day that is coming, and that day has been fixed by God. And on that day, God will judge fully and finally all people. He will judge the world. God has fixed a day that is to come. Peter would say it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He would say, but the day of the Lord, whenever you see the day of the Lord, that's, that's a reference to the coming of Jesus the second time. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And that sounds really ominous. And when I've read that, it, it seems like an asteroid hitting and the earth and blowing everything to smithereens. So nothing exists anymore. But that's not really what he's saying here. Like biblical scholars will know that what this is describing is more like a purifying of the earth, right? Because God, right? through Jesus is reconciling all things to himself, a day is coming where God will establish, where he will renew and make new heaven and earth. And we will dwell, those who belong with him will dwell with him forever. And he's describing this here like, like a forest fire that burns through and burns all that is dead, right? So that life appears. He's talking about this refining fire that purifies and renews the earth, which God will do on that day, the day of the Lord when Christ returns again. So the coming of Jesus brings the end. That's what we mean when we say the end times. We're talking about the coming of Jesus. And that that day will be sudden and will be obvious. 
And the Bible talks about this. Jesus, Peter, and Paul, over and over again, Jesus will return, and he, when he returns, it will be sudden and obvious. Jesus says, as, as lightning flashes from east to west, all eyes see it at the same time, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. All will see in that moment. It won't be like a slow progression that some will hear, and then others. This will be a sudden and obvious coming of Jesus with power and authority back to the world. And as C.S. Lewis has put it, for this time it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. So that first question, is there an end? The answer is yes. The Bible gives the answer yes. Jesus will return and bring about the end. There is a day that God has fixed. And then the second question is, well, can we know when that day might be? Can we know when we're living close to that day? And that was essentially the question that those disciples asked, right, in Acts chapter 1. Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That's their way of asking that question. And how did Jesus respond? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by His own authority. It's not for you to know. Another place he says, you can't know. You will come at a time when it is not expected. He will come like a thief in the night. But that kind of seems at, odd, at odds with, with other things we hear in the Scriptures, right? Like, like Peter would say in 1 Peter 4, 7, he'll say, the end of all things is near. You get the sense like they were teaching and they were expecting like Jesus was going to come any day and they fully expected this end to happen in their lifetime almost 2,000 years ago because he wrote that in AD 60 or so. The end of all things is near. Was he wrong? Was he wrong? Was Jesus wrong when back in Matthew um, chapter 24, like Jesus had said in verse 36, he says, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So, about that day and hour, no one knows. Okay, that seems kind of clear. But, just a few verses earlier, he says something that almost sounds to contradict it. Okay? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 33 to 34. He says, even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things have happened. In other words, you're not going to die until these, all these things have happened. Well, that kind of seems like Jesus is saying it's, it's, it's going to happen. He's kind of narrowing it down. Is that what he's doing there? But, but that was 2,000 years ago. Was Jesus wrong? Maybe you've read that scripture and you've wondered, what is Jesus saying? And if, and if you read that text superficially, you, you might think that Jesus is he's suggesting that he fully expected that he was going to return and the end would come in the lifetime of these guys, these first followers. But if you read closer, you, you, you find something else. Because Jesus is referring to these things. When you see all these things, you will know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So the question is, what are these things that he's referring to? Well, if you back up to the beginning of Matthew 24, you, you, you hear what these, all these things are, because again, the disciples have asked the question, tell us, they say in verse 3, tell us, Jesus, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So I guess that's not a new question. 
Right from the very beginning, they were asking that question. Can we know? How do we know? And Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all the nations because of you, and many will turn away from me. Right? So these are the all these things he's referring to, right? Wars, rumors of wars, famines, false prophets, earthquakes. These sort of things are all these things. So he says, even so, when you see all these things, you know it is near. So what is the it is near? The it is the end, his second coming. When you see all of these things happen, you know that it is near. So the second coming, the it, isn't a part of all these things, right? It comes at some point after all these things. So when he says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened, the all these things isn't his coming. It's not the end. It's those things that precede the end that he described. And all those things did happen in their lifetime. Like if you go back in history, those first disciples after Jesus ascended, they lived in a terrible time. Uh, some Roman general, Tacitus, I can't remember what his name was, he came and he, and he utterly destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. He like wiped out the people. Terrible suffering that nation hadn't seen in, in, in memory. Right? And, and they lived through these things. They, they experienced all these things that Jesus said would precede the end. And you know what? Every generation since has experienced all of these things. Because what we have to understand about the word near is that it doesn't mean shortly. It's going to happen shortly. That word near or translated soon, when, when Peter says the end is coming soon, that word literally means Suddenly. It's something that's going to happen quickly. It doesn't mean it's something that's going to happen shortly. So what Jesus is saying is, I could come back at any time. When you've experienced all these things, know that the end is near. It is right at the door. And so what we get is we get a picture of Jesus. We're kind of the world's on one side and there's a door. And he's on the other side with his hand on the doorknob, ready for his father to give the cue. Now is the time. Now is the fixed day. And what Jesus is saying is that could happen any time. I will be standing at the door. And so the Bible speaks of these last days as this, as this time of waiting, as, as this time of imminency. Jesus' return from then till today has been imminent. And imminent doesn't mean it's going to happen shortly, soon. It means it could happen at any time. There's not all these things that you have to see happen first. Right? And you know you have lots of time because this and this and this and this and this and this. So we, like, you know, what it means is it could happen imminently. It could happen at any moment. And that was true then. And that's true today. In fact, it's kind of interesting, you know, how, how the Bible treats these words, the last days, because when we use them, and I think when the person asked that question, are we in the last days? I think what they were asking is, 
Like, is it going to be really quick now? Is it going to be a short time between now and when Jesus comes, when the end comes? Is that going to happen in our lifetime? But how does the Bible treat those words, the last days? It's interesting. It treats it differently. You know, the Old Testament had foretold these last days when God would do a new thing, when He would restore all things to Himself. And there were prophecies about this. And so in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit has come down on that first church, right, and really the church is born in that moment because God, Jesus sent what He had promised, the Holy Spirit to empower them. So the Holy Spirit has come on those first disciples and then Peter preaches this message and he quotes Joel, who was an Old Testament prophet. He quotes him, which says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. So what he's saying, that has happened. So what Peter was saying is, these are the last days. He has poured out his spirit on all people. And the author of the book of Hebrews, at the very beginning of his letter, says, in the, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the Bible treats the last days as that time after Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and sent His Holy Spirit on the church. For 2,000 years, we have been in the last days where God has been at work in this way, according to the Scriptures. So yes, I guess in that sense, yes, we are living in the last days and have been ever since the Holy Spirit came on the church. But we cannot know the time, the precise time of the end, because Jesus said, no one can know. We can surmise, we can talk, we can predict, and that's all fun. But ultimately, we can know. It's not ours to know. He will come like a thief in the life when no one expects him. And as a boy, like, I would read that when no one expects him, and I thought what that meant is like, all six billion people on planet Earth are not expecting it in that moment. So I'd be like, I want Jesus to come, and I was thinking about it, and I'm like, don't, don't! I'm thinking about it, which means it can't happen. It can only happen when nobody's thinking about it. So all six billion brains have to align like the stars. And then in that moment when nobody is expecting, and that's not what that means, what it means is you can't know with any certainty It's not ours to know. And so when I'm asked, Pastor, do you think that we're living in, like Jesus is going to come back soon in our lifetime? I go, maybe. And when someone who feels fairly strongly for one reason or another through their study that that, that is true and, and, and they will kind of share that with me, I will say, maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah, the Bible alludes to these things. Maybe that's what's happening now. But that's how I answer that question, maybe. I think that's the biblical answer. Maybe. All I know for sure is that we are one day closer today than we were yesterday. And so that's how I answer the question. Maybe. All I know is we're one day closer today than we were yesterday to the end, to the coming again of our Lord Jesus. But why so long? Like, why 2,000 years? Even those first Christians were getting that question. They're, they're kind of getting people scoffing at them. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 3, um, 
Verse 3 says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. That is Jesus. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. What's taking him so long? Maybe it's a sham. Maybe he's not coming. You're still waiting? He goes on in verse 8, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as, as some have understood slowness. Instead, He is patient. That's a key word. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, the heart of God in waiting, in His patience, in delaying, is His love for the world and His desire that everybody would have an opportunity to know Him. And see, the people in Jesus' day like, like, that, that were kind of expecting it maybe like any day now, they didn't know what they didn't know. And what didn't they know? They didn't know there was a whole other side of the world full of people that they knew nothing about. They didn't know that. God knew that. They didn't know. All these undiscovered peoples, peoples that Jesus had come to die for, to give life to, to give hope to. And so you'll hear Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, after he's listed all these things that must happen, but the end is still to come. And then he'll say in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the, what? Then the end will come. Earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, all these things in the world. Yeah, it's going to happen, but it doesn't mean the end's here. And it's still to come, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to, to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you hear the heart of God here? I mean, His utmost desire, right, is for this good news of Jesus to circle the globe so that all may know, so that all may have an opportunity to receive that greatest gift in Jesus. That's the heart of God. And so that's what Jesus emphasizes here. You know, they're, they're, tell us what's going to happen. What are the signs? What are the signs, Jesus? See what he's doing? He's trying to redirect their focus away from all the signs and predictions, all that stuff, to this mission that God has given the church, that God has given each and every one of us to proclaim the gospel in our lives and with our lips. And you'll see Jesus do the same back in Acts chapter 1 in his very final words before he ascends to heaven, right? They ask him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Is this the time? And he said, it's not for you to know the times of the days that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, power to do what? Power to have the insight to figure it out? Like there's some sort of secret knowledge that God will give a real, a real spiritual person that really searches and, and the Spirit will give them insight and all of that. No. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he keeps doing it over and over again. They keep asking the question, Lord, is now the time? And he keeps trying to redirect their focus back to what? His mission. Yeah, yeah, well, you, you can't know. But I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying over and over, don't focus on the timeline. Focus on God's work. Focus on the mission. 
So that second question, can we know when that day will come? No. No. No, not with certainty. So don't ever claim certainty. All we can say is maybe we're one day closer than we were yesterday. So what difference would it make in our lives, that third and final question, what difference would it make in our lives if Jesus could come at any moment, as he said, that he is at the door? What difference would that make? Probably a a whole bunch of different implications to that, but I just want to highlight two here in our final minutes. I think the first difference that would make is it would give us, as those who know Jesus, it would give us a calm assurance in the face of difficult circumstances. Whether those are difficult circumstances in our own lives or whether they're different circumstances in the world. You know, you watch the news and everything is going to hell in a handbasket, right? And it makes people afraid and anxious, right? But this knowledge that God has fixed a day and that Jesus is at the door and that day could be any day, it gives us this confidence, this calm assurance in the face of all of those difficult circumstances. Because that's the purpose of the prophecy. You know that? The purpose of the prophecy is less so that you know what's going to happen and more that you know God knows what's going to happen. You know the difference? It's less so that you know what's going to happen and more so that you can know that God knows what's going to happen because that's what you need to know. That's what we need to know, right? That God is in control. God is sovereign over all the circumstances in your life and the circumstances of the world. And he is guiding history to its purpose and the world is not out of control. If you knew that God is guiding that and he had a fixed day, right? That would change the way that you would face the difficulties in life. It would give you perseverance. You wouldn't need to be shaken by those things. And so, you know, the book of Revelation, which is full of all this imagery, and people want to know, what's a ten-headed dragon? I'd love to know. But you know what? I don't need to know. What difference would it make? I I, I remember when I was a boy, we knew what the ten-headed dragon was. Now, this is kind of insider Bible speak, if you've never actually read it. Just this picture, right, of the end times. This dragon is bad, brings destruction. Well, it's the European Union. There were nine members. Did you know that this country just added there are ten members to the European Union? Bada bing, bada boom. Don't go to Europe. Don't go to Europe. Well, now there's like 31 members. The point of all of that isn't so that we can piece it all together. The point is so that you can have confidence that God wins in the end. There will be struggle, there will be war, there will be all sorts of sufferings on the earth and maybe in your life, but don't be despairing, Christian, because you need to know that God knows all of that. That God has a plan and a purpose and that at the end, God wins and so do all who belong to Him. That's the purpose. God wins and so do all who belong to Him. So it gives us that calm assurance in the face of of difficulties. I think there's another thing it does, the the knowledge of the imminent return of Jesus, that that is at hand. Um, It would cause us to be vigilant in our lives. 
You know, the Bible exists not so much to inform us of the details of the future. Don't read, don't read the Bible that way. It's not what it's there for. Okay? It, it doesn't exist to inform us of the details of the future so much as to prepare us to serve God faithfully in the present. That's what it's for. And so if you go back to Luke chapter 12, which Ross read at the beginning about this, you'll, you'll hear Jesus, and I think the words will be up on the screen. In verse 35, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can ultimately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. So what does he tell us to do? He says, be ready, be waiting, and be watching. What does that mean? Well, I think when we hear those words, we think what that means is, yeah, we, we look up to the sky, we, we try to figure it out, and we look up to the sky, and we just wait. Or we sit in our basements, and we do Bible study, and we try to figure it all out, right? So we have some sense so we can look up to the sky and wait. And that's not what Jesus means when he says, be ready, wait, and watch, right? He says, be, be, be dressed, ready for service. And then he, t- and then he has this story, right, of, of a servant, the master who is God left, and he left the servant with a task in his house, with a job. And he said that master is going to come back at a time that that servant does not expect. And when he comes back, that servant must be ready. He must be waiting. He must be watching. And that doesn't mean looking out the window, trying to figure out when the master's coming back while the supper's burning on the stove. It means he's going to be found by the master doing the work that his master entrusted him to do. He will be on his master's mission. That's what it means to be ready and waiting and watching. It doesn't mean inactivity or to be huddled together as Christians. Studying prophecy in a timeline, although that's not bad and that's fun, but to do that while our whole neighborhood and our neighbors are living without the hope that is only found in the gospel. Right, to be ready and waiting and watching means to have an expectation of Jesus' coming that gives us urgency to be about God's mission in our lives, an urgency to proclaim the good news of Jesus in the way we live and the faithfulness of our lives and in, in the way we speak in sharing the good news of Jesus with others who need it, an urgency to do that mission. Because that's the work that Jesus has given to you and to us. So we must make Jesus' final words our first work. Because whenever you see Jesus' final words in the Gospels, it's always the same thing. Go, make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what he's about. It would mean that we would make Jesus' final words our our first work. So to be ready, church, doesn't mean to have eyes to the sky. And and so I don't know, maybe some of us, we just need to be, we just need to have our focus corrected a little bit. Because I wonder sometimes if we can become so preoccupied with those details when the point is not to figure it out. 
The point is not to figure it out. The point is it gives us an awareness that God's in control, that He has a plan, that He is coming, and so we should be about the mission. Found doing what He's called us to do when He returns, and He could return at any moment. What will He find when He does? Not eyes to the sky, church, but eyes to the world around us. Eyes with the mission. And I know I've shared it before, but I think it's a powerful little example, right? Of Benjamin Franklin, who was with a bunch of the other founding fathers of the United States, and they were doing some important work in this room, and there was a big window, and one person noticed that there was this big cloud formation like they had never, ever seen happening in the sky. And they all rushed to the window except for Benjamin Franklin, and, and they were just marveling at this, and they were kind of gripped with fear because they thought, surely this must be the end. They've never seen anything like this. Jesus is coming on the clouds. It's, it's now. And they turned to Benjamin to find him undeterred at, at his desk working, and they said, Benjamin, how can you be there working when Jesus is coming back? To which... He replied, if this is, in fact, Christ's coming, I want to be found by Him doing my work. Never forgot that. And it's not my work. We would say, I want to be found by Him doing His work. I want to be ready. I want to be watchful and vigilant in the way I live. Because any day could be the last day. And so this last scripture here, as I was reading, kind of spoke to this, this question. From the Old Testament, Isaiah, or, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, the people of Israel have been conquered by the Babylonians. They've been exiled back to Babylon. And they just so desperately wanted to go back home, but they were exiles in Babylon. And this is what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, Don't, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And what God is saying is people, supposed prophets, had come to tell them, oh, don't worry, guys, we're going to be going back. You know that thing you really want? It's going to happen like tomorrow, a month. Don't worry. Any day now. And, 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 and so they weren't, they weren't, they, they were just waiting. They weren't, in, they, they weren't serving. They weren't investing. They weren't building lives. They weren't seeking the peace of their, this place because they were going to, they were going to be gone any moment. What's the point? And Jesus says, I haven't sent them. He says, I've put you here. Now when you're here, I want you to serve. I want you to live. I want you to, to work. Don't detach yourself from your world and just sit and look to the sky. Don't detach. Let's not detach ourselves, church. 
right? Well, this world, what does it matter? It's all going to be burned up in the next, what, five years? Any? Seven years tops. What's the point? I'm not putting out the blue bin. What's the point? This isn't a lesson on recycling, by the way. Not a bad thing to do. But, you know, I think some Christians have had the, the point, like, well, what's the point of investing, right? And Jesus would say, I might be here tomorrow. I might be here 100 years from now. I might be here 1,000 years from now. You have today. All you have is today. Be faithful today. Don't be like that father who pulled all that money out of his RESP because he was so sure. As C.S. Lewis said, precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all moments. So, yeah, we are living in, in the last days. As the church has for many years, Jesus is at the door. And the day he turns that knob and re-enters, we don't know when. It could be today, it could be 100 years from now. But here's the question I want, I want to give to you to kind of ponder on and to pray over. If you believe Jesus would return at any moment, how would you live? If you believe that the end could come, that Jesus would return at any moment, how would you live? What would you want him to find you up to? Let's pray. Father God, we were just reminded this morning that you are uh, you're an infinitely wise God. You know the end from the beginning. You are the master planner. And we thank you, God, that uh, you have insight in all things. And not only, not only insight, but you have the power to bring about all of your plans. And so, God, we, we, just, we believe that you hold the future in your hand. We believe that you have a date fixed. We believe that you will send your son again. We believe that you will, you will finish what he began, um, that you will restore all things to yourself that you will judge all people about what they had done with the good news of Jesus, whether they had received him or denied him. So God, that, that, that knowledge of your wisdom and your power that, well, first of all, gives us comfort. Uh, we thank you, God, that even though we don't know what's going to happen this afternoon or next year, or Russia, or Ukraine, or China, or the economy, or democracy, or that cancer in my life, or that job situation, or whatever it is, God, that you are sovereign over all of those things. And we know that whatever the future holds for us in our world, that as those who belong to you, we will reign victorious with you. So Lord, I just pray that if there's any fear that we're carrying, that you would just kind of still that fear that you would give us a persevering spirit to, to endure to the end, whenever that end is. And so, God, we're comforted by that, but we're maybe troubled a little bit because we have to look at our lives and go, oh, what are we up to? Are we up to your work? Are we being faithful in our lives and with our lips to do the one thing that you've entrusted to us to do, to share the good news of Jesus, to embody that in the way we live 
So, Lord, just speak to us, each and every one of us. Um, show us, God, what it is that you would want us to be about as we wait for you. Lord, help us to be faithful you know, today, tomorrow, and each day as we await your glorious return. In Jesus' name, amen.